So at this time, we'll go ahead and uh, dismiss our elementary age kids to go uh, with uh, David here. He's the other very handsome bald guy <laughs> that works for this church. <laughs> if you brought your Bibles this morning, you can open them to Luke chapter 24. Our, our, our worship team has done a great job kind of walking us through the, the story of of Easter, and I want to pick up where, where that story left off. The last thing they read was about the women who went to the tomb, and when they get there, they find the tomb empty, and the New Living Tra- Translation says they're puzzled. And at that point in time, men dressed in, in really bright, dazzling robes appear, and they ask a very simple question, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. And the men remind the women about what Jesus had said, about his own words and about Scripture. The women recall these things and they race from the tomb to tell the eleven, to tell the disciples. Do you remember what happens next without looking? In verse 11 of chapter 24, The women run into the room and tell the disciples, the the tomb is empty. And we saw these guys, and and they said, he is risen. And the disciples immediately jumped up and praised God and ran out of the room. Look at what verse 11 says. It says, to the disciples, the story sounded like nonsense. So they they didn't believe it. Uh, it's not the first time, ladies, that, that men just have refused to listen. <laughs> Immediately after this, there's a story of, of two of Jesus' followers. We don't know if they, we don't know if they were men or, or a couple or, or, or who these people are. We just know that two of Jesus' followers in verse 13 were walking to a village, the village of Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And I just want to read, uh, just, we're just going to walk through this story as we move, uh, move through the text. This place, Emmaus, in Hebrew, it, it means warm spring. So we don't really know if uh, these followers, as they're leaving Jerusalem, are, are they giving up? Are they throwing in the towel? Or, or are they going to the spa? Are, are they going to vacation? We don't really know, and, and we don't really know a lot about this place, Emmaus, some of the earliest manuscripts we have of Scripture uh, make reference to this place being the same place that Jacob encountered God. You remember this story from the Old Testament. It, it's in Genesis. There's a story of Jacob, and he's, he's walking. He's on this journey, and he's in the middle of nowhere. Nighttime falls, and Jacob does what anyone would do. He pulls up a rock, puts his head on it, and goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream about a ladder, a stairway to heaven, if you will. And on this ladder, he sees angels ascending and descending, and the God, and God at the top of the ladder, giving Jacob this promise, this blessing about his future and his descendants. And when Jacob wakes up the very next morning in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, look what he says. He says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. That is the place that the followers of Jesus are going. But let's read on. 
As they walked, they discussed everything that had happened, and that is when it happened. Jesus appeared among them wearing a fake mustache. All right, Scripture doesn't say fake mustache. It just says in verse 16 that uh, God concealed Jesus' identity from them. Interesting point here. Why? Jesus shows up right there among them, right, right among two of his followers. Why disguise him? Why hide his identity? Maybe God is picking his spots. Maybe the, maybe the men just aren't ready to see. Are you? The disguised Jesus engages the men and uh, ask them, what are, what are you guys discussing? What are you guys talking about? And immediately their whole demeanor changes. And in verse 17, it, it says they stop short, sadness written across their faces. And in verse 18, one of the followers, uh, a guy named Cleopas, says, in a great sense of irony, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Um, everyone in Jerusalem knew about Jesus at this point. Do you remember as we entered into Holy Week, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. This kind of got people's attention. And as Jesus entered into Jerusalem for Passover for this incredible feast, the word has gotten around that this Jesus has raised somebody from the dead and people show up in crowds in droves to meet him. And as he enters the city, do you remember what they do? They have a parade for him. Jesus, humble, rides in on a donkey and the people line the streets with palm branches, and they throw the branches down before him, singing, Hosanna, 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 blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And everyone knew when he entered the city, and everyone knew when he was arrested. And the Romans made sure that when they crucified someone, everyone saw it. The place of Jesus' crucifixion is, is similar to literally Times Square, it was public on purpose. And the whole city was talking about it. And Jesus, in the, in the great sense of the Dr. Luke, in, in his irony of recording things, Jesus, still in disguise, says, What things? And the two followers, they, they go into this diatribe of just explaining, hey, well, here's what happened. There was this guy, and, and we, we thought he was the one. But then they crucified him. And, and they, they covered his tomb with a stone. And then these ladies, they came, and they gave us this story, but who listens to ladies? And at this point... Um, Jesus is about to break his disguise. You can see in verse 25 of this story, he's, he's, he's just barely hanging on. You know, he's about to break his cover, and he says, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. 
and over the next seven miles to this Emmaus place, to this meeting place of, of God, of this place of uh, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. Over there, over the next seven miles, Jesus stays with them, and he shares with them the scriptures and the prophecies about the Messiah. He shares with them the prophecies, what, what, the, what the scriptures had said about himself, namely that the Messiah had to suffer, that the crucifixion uh, did not negate Jesus' identity as the Messiah, but confirmed it. He shared with them things they should have already known. And by the time they arrive at this place, Emmaus, it's getting late, and, and the men beg the, the disguised fake mustache Jesus to, to stay with them. And in verse 30 of the story, they sit down to eat, and as they gather around the table, Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and hands it out. And I don't know if it was the, the way he prayed Maybe it reminded them of the time he broke the bread and fed 5,000. Something about that moment, his mustache fell off. In verse 31, it says, Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that moment, they recognized the risen Christ the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, was with them, had been with them the whole time, and they didn't even know it. But as soon as they recognized him, what happens? He disappears. Now, it doesn't say if it was a flash of smoke like I've seen in magic shows or or if it was like uh, he dematerialized, like uh, I think like Star Trek, you know what I'm saying? Like he got beamed up somewhere else. Or um, it, it just, we know he simply didn't stand and walk out of the room. When they recognized him, he was just gone. And then one of my favorite verses in scripture, verse 32 of chapter 24, says, The men look at each other in, a, in kind, of, kind of astonishment and shock. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? What they say is, I knew there was something about that guy. Right? I knew it. And like the women before them, they now have news that just can't wait. In the next passage, they immediately, with it says, within the hour, they turn their course. They do a complete 180, even though it's dark, even though it's late, even though they've already hiked seven miles to Emmaus. Immediately, now they have a message to share. They have good news to share, and they get on the road and hump it back to Jerusalem. They do a literally do a 180, which uh, if you're looking for the perfect definition of what it means to repent, repentance is a one. I was going in one direction, I encountered the living Christ, and now I am going in a completely new direction. So the men hike seven miles back to Jerusalem. When they arrive, they, they find the 11 disciples and the others who are gathered with them, and they deliver the same message that a group of women delivered. In verse 34, it says, they say to the disciples, the Lord has really 
risen. And just as they begin to tell their story, just as they begin to tell of their encounter, well, we were on the way to the spa, and we met this guy, and he began to explain scripture to us, and he broke bread, and we recognize him. And as soon as they begin to tell this story, what happens? It happened again. And I don't know, I think about Harry Potter, like the invis- Jesus was under invisibility cloak. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, the invisibility cloak drops off, and there he is. Jesus is standing among all of them. And immediately, they think, yes, awesome, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is with us. No. They think, it's a ghost. Anybody can be a disciple. I'm just telling you that right now. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not a ghost. Look, I have, I have flesh. Look, look, I have, I have the wounds, even from the cross. And again, he explains to these men who should have already known how the crucifixion fulfilled Scripture, how it confirmed his message. And then he gives them a message to take, and it is a message of forgiveness for the whole world. So I love this story. I just want to share a couple of messages um, that, uh, that I see in this. The first one, um, have your kids ever asked you, uh, well, if you can't see God, how do you know he's real? Have you ever encountered this question? If I can't see him, How do I know that God exists? And the answer, it would seem, at least from this story, is instead of trusting your eyes, maybe you should trust your heart. While the men were blinded by Jesus' ingenious mustache disguise, as they spent time with him, there was something inside of them that knew the truth. Remember what Scripture said. Didn't our hearts burn when we were around him? I love this quote from Augustine. He's one of the church fathers. 350 years after the the life of Christ, Augustine simply says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until... What are those last four words? Say them together. Rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you because our hearts are made for you. So what truth do our hearts have to teach us? If you listen to your heart, if you really listen, what does it have to tell you about the Messiah. Would your heart tell you that maybe God is nearer than you would like to admit? If you really listen to your heart, would it tell you that the one you have been seeking is right under your nose? Jacob said after his after his dream about a ladder in the middle of nowhere after sleeping on a rock, Jacob said, surely 
the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I didn't even know it. In Matthew chapter 28, as Matthew recounts the life of Jesus Christ, the very last words of Jesus in Matthew. I know some of our group have been reading the Gospels through as we prepare for Easter. And so today, if you finish Matthew chapter 28, what are the very final words? Do any of you remember? The last thing Jesus says is, Surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. His presence doesn't require your belief. Have you thought about that? Even in our darkest moments of doubt and despair, in unexpected ways and times, Emmanuel, God, is with us. And the good news of Easter, the good news of the resurrection is that you are not alone. And if there's another message that comes out of this, even for us today, is it is an answer to the question, who is Easter for? Who is the resurrection for? Well, if I look at Scripture, it's for doubters and disbelievers. Jesus' own disciples needed multiple messages and a personal visit, and still they had doubts. Easter is for college students drowning in debt. Easter is for lost sheep and prodigal sons. Easter is for the addict, the orphan, the widow. Easter is for the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well, the woman that had been married how many times and was living with another guy that wasn't even her husband. She had to go to the well at different times of the day just so she wouldn't be around other women and hear their ridicule. And Easter is for her. Easter is for the dad who works 60 hours a week just to try to provide for his family. Easter is for the stay-at-home moms just trying to hold it all together. Easter is for the hungry who don't know where their next meal will come from. Easter is for those who drink themselves to sleep at night, for the criminal, for the prisoner, for those who have hurt people. Easter is for the people who live in our world far away from us in Africa and India and Asia and Russia. Easter is for your next door neighbor and for your boss. And Easter is for the person who will probably serve your lunch today. Easter is for, for the lonely, the lost, the tired, the overwhelmed. That's a word I hear a lot. Have you, you, you hear this word ever? Overwhelmed. And if that's you, Easter is for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what are those last two words the hope of new life the promise of easter the resurrection of jesus christ is for 
you. And although you may have abandoned him and maybe you feel unworthy and maybe you've been pursuing everything else other than God, Easter says this isn't about your desires. This isn't about your pursuit. Easter says that God is pursuing you. And while you may have abandoned him, he has never abandoned you. Amen? At this time in our service, we're going to move into a time of communion, a time of response. So a couple of different things are going to be happening uh, during this space. And uh, uh, first is communion. Uh, we invite you, anyone who believes that Jesus is the is the, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, to enter into this time of communion. And on our tables, we have tables here, two in the back, and one, even one over here. We have the, the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed for us, and the bread, which represents the broken body. It, it is a time to remember his sacrifice for us. In just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss you and just invite you to go up, to stand, to Go to these tables. Uh, if, you, if you're comfortable and you want to, I invite you to form a small group and pray for each other. Or maybe you just need to sit with your spouse or, or a family member and take communion together. Or even if this is your time to really sit down and meditate and you want to do that alone, then praise God, we, we want to create space for that too. And so in a few moments, there'll be some music that begins, and, and it, it is just an open space, and I invite you not to rush through it, but a time for you to commune with the living God. But I also invite you to respond. I'm going to move to the back over, kind of that corner over there, and some of our elders are over there, and we want to give you a chance to respond. And if there's a way we can pray for you or, or a way that we can serve you this morning, then we want to do that. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ and be baptized. We're here for that. All of us are somewhere on that seven-mile road to Emmaus, right? We're either having some doubts and don't know what we believe as we head to Emmaus, or we've come to some realization of what our hearts have been telling us all along, and we're on our way back to tell others. Towards or away, we are all on the road to Emmaus, my questions this morning is, is your heart burning inside of you? Have you encountered the resurrected Christ and maybe didn't even know it? Today is your day to repent of your sins. Remember that journey to Emmaus. It's a 180 to make that complete turn. And maybe that's you to repent of your sins. Embrace the God who loves you and has never abandoned you. And declare as his disciples did as they arrived back at Jerusalem, the Lord has really risen and begin a whole new life. Because resurrection is not resuscitation. There's a difference, right? Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead to give you just a slightly better version of the life that you had. No, he wants to kill that old life and give you you a whole brand new one. Easter doesn't bring the promise of a better you, but a whole new you. And if there's one final message of the Easter, it is that a whole new life is possible. Are you with me?
So I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then I just invite you to take your time, enter into this time of communion. Maybe the resurrected Christ is here with you today, right under your nose. Maybe you're in a place of uh, needing to respond. You're ready to repent or confess your sins or even want to be baptized. If that's you, I'm just going to move to the back corner. I'd love to receive you there. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today and we recognize that your son is alive. That through the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Father God, our sins have been washed away because of your great and immeasurable grace. We have been forgiven. And so, Father God, we remember your son in this time, even as we as we take this bread and as we take this cup, as we enter into this time of communion, we enter into the whole new life you've promised. And Father God, I thank you for your great patience with us because we choose other things and we occupy our, our, our minds with other things and, and we get distracted by things of this world. And God, you are so good, you are so generous that even when we pursue everything else, your pursuit of us has never failed. And so, Father God, we remember this morning as we enter into this time of communion that you're here and that we are loved. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that everyone together says. All right, I invite you to enter into this time of communion. After a few moments, our worship team will continue us back into a time of worship.